Hola, hola, chulas. Hi there. We are experts in intuitive eating for on-again, off-again chronic dieters, and we are here to help you take the guilt and stress out of eating so you can become the first in your family to break the diet cycle, just like we are in our families. We want you to be who you are without food guilt. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, No More Guilt for Melissa and Your Latina Nutritionist for Delina. Are you ready? Let's break the diet cycle. Hey, it's me, Melissa. Before we start, I want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by No More Guilt with Melissa Landry. What you are about to listen to is not a professional coaching or counseling session. Each episode is a one-time conversation meant for educational purposes. Look, we're dietitians, but we're not your dietitian. Remember that podcasts don't constitute treatment. If you have concerns about your dieting behaviors, seek out guidance from a medical or mental health professional. And if you're looking for the process, support, and focus you need to live life without food guilt, apply for a coaching program from today's sponsor, me. I'm currently enrolling clients into one-to-one programs, group programs, and I recently added a do-it-yourself format, the Ex-Dieter's Guide to No More Guilt. Apply for a program at melissalandrynutrition.com. I hope to meet you soon. We're continuing on today, Delina, with our intuitive eating skills series. I know that we said satisfaction was our favorite skill, but when I was preparing for this episode, I realized this is kind of my favorite skill. Really? Yes, because self-talk is where it's at. Challenging the food police is what we're talking about today. Yeah, yeah. I know you love yourself some mindset. I mean, I do, but you know, I love eating. (laughs) So like the satisfaction part, like when you get there and you start eating like satisfying food, I'm like, yum, 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 yum. You're more in like the experience. To me, just to play devil's advocate here, to me, without the mindset, you can't get yourself to that that beautiful moment of enjoying that food. So That I think is why the authors of intuitive eating place these like skills back to back. And mm-hmm. of course you don't have to follow the skills in like a perfect step ladder sequence, but in writing the book, they tried to present it in a way that helps your mind to step into the, the outcome. So yeah. this episode, we'll talk about mindset and challenging the food police. And then our next episode, you can take the lead on your favorite skill, which is satisfaction. Yeah, know it. It's a one, two punch. So We're going to talk about a few things today. The first is where the inner food police voice comes from. Then I want to talk a little about why and how challenging that voice is actually a helpful thing to feeling your best around food. And we're hopeful to give you a few examples. You can start recognizing your own food police voice and you can shut it down. Yes. So this is such a big question of where does the food police voice come from? I think a lot of the food policing can come from like marketing and from weight loss programs, like walk down the grocery store aisle and what is written all over the packages. Oh, I have a bunch of them next to me right now. Like guilt-free this, blah, blah, free that. Everything that we see around our food, especially I would say in the last 10 years, as like even restaurants have started to catch on to this language. Like you'll look at a menu and they'll be like the sin-free menu. Yep. It creates this whole psyche of like good, bad, legal, illegal. There's this whole morality around food that I think has come a lot from the food industry itself, yeah. not just the weight loss programs. 
No, and I think it's because they that sells, right? This like guilty pleasure sells because it all stems again from that idea, that perfectionism idea, right? So like if you're good, you're you're good. But then we also have that part of us that wants to be <laughs> simple. And so like you can you can like have these guilty pleasures once in a while, but not all the time, you right. know, like ugh. It is, it, that's true that there is kind of this like sexy feeling sometimes when you're restricting and you're repressing everything that you want all the time. Then when you do have it, there is a thrill and a rush. So people who are selling you something can create need or demand by pulling back and restricting and then giving you the thing that you want. They can also create need or demand by acting as if their foods are somehow more pure, better than other foods. You know, like when we see things that say like gluten-free yogurt, well, you know what? There wasn't gluten in the yogurt to begin with. So that's okay. Gluten-free water gets me. Gluten-free water. And we, we fall into it. You guys like that feeling of like, Ooh, would you look at that? Look at that. It's free of this thing that I'm assuming is bad, but do I know for sure? So I do think a lot of this inner food police it comes from that and it's at least reinforced. And then what happens? Our, our moms learn it. Our aunties learn it. Our friends learn it. And so the repetition of this is everywhere. And so it makes sense if you have some of these inner voices within you that maybe you don't always hear them, but they're driving a lot of the food guilt that you feel. Yeah. I think that it's, it, and we don't even know it's so subtle. It's such a part of who we are and the culture. It's ingrained in our society that we don't even notice it. It's true. You don't notice it until you get angry at yeah. diet culture. Yeah. Until you get angry at all of the like subliminal messages. Like, for instance, my daughter, she's into the descendants now. I know we're late to the game. If you, if you wait, know what, what is this? This is like a new, this is a Disney movie, like Disney movies about the princess descendants, right? So it's called the descendants. So like Sleeping Beauty's daughter and like Belle's son and like, you know, all of the princesses have their kids at this like academy. And then all of the evil, like the evil queens and all the villains are casted in this aisle of villains where they live and whatever. So the movie has to do with like the new king. Beast and Belle's son is a new king, and he wants to allow the villain kids to come onto the to the the mainland and go to school. So he like does this like project where he allows them whatever. So four kids from the villain, so Maleficent's daughter, Evil Queen's daughter, Cruella Deville's son. And- Hold on, I'm getting some popcorn. Here we go. Keep keep yeah. going. Our son. They all come over. Anyway, there's a song that we heard the other day. From the soundtrack, it's not in the movie. I don't remember it from the movie, but it's called Poor Unfortunate Souls. And in the song, that was from The Little Mermaid, isn't it? Does it go like Poor Unfortunate Souls? That one. Because it's Uma, who is Ursula's daughter, is singing it. Uh. And she talks about the unfortunate souls and she's like wanting to be thin and popular. And I was like, so now I skip it every time I hear it and Nyla's like why do you skip that song I'm like I don't like the words this is actually a really helpful visual because I see you with like a remote control like ready to go oh, no, ready. It's, in the car. it's Spotify I'm like, oh it's Spotify okay either way 
we have you on the skip button. And actually that's a really good visual skill if you want to use it, because we're going to help you identify negative thinking today. So maybe you just imagine Delina coming into your brain and skipping the thought. If that, if you, if you're having a hard time doing it on your own, Delina's here for you to press skip. Skip. Skip So that's amazing, by the way. Um, Loki might watch that despite not having children. There, I mean, I got sucked in. So okay. Well, thank you for your <laughs> look at that. A little bonus in this episode today. You got like a get like a recap blog from Delina on <laughs> the descendants. All right. So we now have a little bit of understanding of where this food police voice comes from. We can normalize that a lot of us have had these messages seep into our brain over the years from every which direction. What intuitive eating does is it uses cognitive behavioral therapy to actually shift those negative beliefs and thoughts that drive food guilt into something that is more supportive, encouraging, and positive in your life. And for any of you out there who have done therapy before, maybe you're an educator, cognitive behavioral therapy is just a way of looking at problems or behaviors and say, okay, how are the thoughts impacting the emotions or the feelings? And how do those feelings impact what we do? You will remember from last episode talking about peace with food that sometimes we have behaviors around bad foods that feel really out of control, like really out of control. And that's why we got to go to the root and challenge the thought, the food police. Otherwise, those behaviors are never really going to normalize. And Vanessa does a really good job at discussing how she felt out of control around food yeah and how challenging these thoughts allow her to kind of like make peace yeah so when we think about that experience you can work on the behaviors themselves right that might mean you know slowing yourself down practicing noticing the flavors next episode we'll talk a little bit more about that with satisfaction and sometimes with clients i'm working with them to say like okay do we want to take it from the satisfaction lens or do we want to take it from the the, the mindset and the challenge, the food police lens. Do we want to do a little bit of both, but just to kind of give you a sense of the framework, because, you know, we're not going to walk you through the whole kit and caboodle here, but we can give you some sense of how to think about this as a problem. Mm-hmm. I always say these really weird phrases. Like, do you know what kit and caboodle is? I mean, you know that I get stuck in some of your phrases. I have to. Be I just close. say weird stuff. Like I, I'm like a 90 year old woman. Like I, I'm pretty sure the where if anyone knows where kit and caboodle came from, please message me. I don't know when I learned that. I think it just means like the whole thing. I don't know. I don't know. Just try to try to understand me. Okay. So when we think about this idea that we were through this principle, we're going to try to observe our thoughts and figure out which ones aren't working for us. There is a very clear difference between the self-talk of a dieter and the self-talk of an intuitive eater. And the reason I love this principle is because it gives a label and a personality to all the many little voices that can come up within us. And for me, I just love imagining these voices as little people and like having these conversations It can be really empowering to not feel like you're just having random racing thoughts, but instead say, okay, that's the food police. Skip (laughs) like Delina does on the descendants. Oh, that's the diet rebel voice. That's the voice that's coming out to protect me when the food police is trying to take my autonomy around food. When you're working with clients and like 
kind of listening to their self-talk, what would you say is the biggest difference between a dieter and intuitive eater? Like, how do you tell the difference? I love that you're bringing these up because anybody that's like listening that worked with me, I don't really name them these things. Mm -hmm. I don't have my clients name them a name of someone they very much dislike. Yep. So you can, I have someone who calls it Aunt Ruthless. That's her voice. It's Aunt Ruthless. Yes. So I have them name the tiny voice in their head someone that they really can tell to F off, whatever. Like someone they they have no problem saying go F off. And so it's funny because they'll usually message me like, I told blah, blah, blah to F off today. And I'm like, yes, do that. And like I egg them on to tell them to go F themselves. Um, (laughs) But a dieter, I think, you know, and the difference is that like a dieter gets angry, dwells in it, kind of like just doesn't know how to react to it as an intuitive eater can step back from a more compassionate place and mm. ask themselves, like, why am I feeling this way? As opposed to judging themselves for feeling this way. Right. So it's like, it's like kind of like an out of body experience, if that makes any sense. Right. I like think it does. Able, yeah. You're able to disconnect, not disconnect, but you're able to look at the feeling make space or make space for that feeling. Exactly. Great word make space for the feeling and be compassionate and question the feeling. Mm-hmm. You're not being so like mean to yourself, right? You're yeah. and, and, and problem solve in the moment as like a dieter just tells himself, you're just a horrible person. You sh- why are you doing this? You might as well just like F this and just like eat everything and anything and just kind of like poke in it. Yeah. Who different is of thinking beautiful description. And it comes back to the cognitive behavioral piece where like the thoughts you have dictate the feelings, dictate the behaviors. So you can tell if you're in diet mindset, or you have the self-talk of a diet, or if you feel resentment, frustration, guilt, fear, if there is negative emotion surrounding food, probably (laughs) there's a root thought that's driving that feeling. On the flip side, what's possible is feeling empowered, contented, neutral, confident, calm. Those are some of the emotions that connect with intuitive eating mindset or the self-talk of intuitive eaters. And if anyone listening is like, Ooh, that sounds good. I've never felt that before. I would tend to venture you are a dieter. Yes. Or still have dieter thoughts because you haven't fully embraced making peace with food Mm -hmm. and telling the food police to F off. Yeah. What this principle really does a nice job of is I think showing examples of not just sending the thought away, but also doing what's called cognitive restructuring. Mm -hmm. And that's just a fancy way of saying, when you talk back to that thought, you are molding it and shaping it so that it automatically comes back as something new. So rather than imagining it like a game of ping pong that never ends, where where your brain's like, you shouldn't eat pizza. And you're like, go away. You shouldn't eat pizza. Go away. That can be helpful, but over time coming up with encouraging voices that actually say like, okay, pizza is a choice of food I get to make. How does that pizza make me feel? Would I like that pizza right now? And having that be the initial automatic thought Mm -hmm. is possible if you continue to practice challenging the food police using some of the inner voices that the intuitive eating process offers you. So a couple different layers, a couple different ways of approaching it, but I think that's exciting that you can reprogram. It's like downloading a new operating system when your computer is like, do you want to update? Like, yeah, you can update your brain. Yes, you can. It's like I said in the last episode, eating with intention and connection. 
And Evelyn taught me that in that group. It's amazing. It's amazing. So ultimately, this principle gives you the skills to identify when the food police is coming around. You can either hear it in the words in your mind, or you can notice it in how you feel, resentment, guilt, fear, all that. It also helps you to look at negative thinking overall. I wrote down some of the different styles of negative thinking that you might want to look out for in your food freedom journey. I think these thoughts apply to the food themselves, like the good, bad labeling of food, but it also applies to the process and our belief in ourselves that this is going to work out and that you are the kind of person who can become an intuitive eater. Yeah. So this type of thinking is worth addressing. Otherwise, what happens is, and I see this all the time, I know you do too, where people get started all gung-ho with intuitive eating. They have one negative experience and they say, yeah. I can't do it. I guess I quit. We don't yeah. want you to do that. Because doing that means you can't learn and experiment, which is what this process requires. And that's what life requires. Oh, for sure. I mean, please trust me. I wish someone would give me a freaking manual how to crush every single thing I do so that I could win always. That would be lovely, but it's not real. That's not how it goes. Before the call. Yes. (laughs) You don't always just get to show up and like get a 10 out of 10 every single time. Sometimes you get a three out of a 10 or one out of 10. Sometimes you're using a totally different scoring system and no one told you. (laughs) It's hard. Any of you who really feel like in other aspects of your life, you're able to step into situations and come into it, figure things out quickly, succeed, problem solve. It can be really hard when you try this stuff with eating, which many people perceive as like, I mean, how basic, why can't I get this right? They, a lot of people have that belief. If you're so used to crushing it everywhere else in your life and you're not doing it here, you might not have a lot of practice, you know, being imperfect at something. This is a good time to try. This is a good time to start because having that learning mindset is the difference between figuring this out or staying stuck. Yeah. And I think it's such a, it it is such a rough time, especially when things have come, like you said, so easily for you in the past, or even when dieting seems to have been so easy for you in the past, right? True. Like there's some people that are like, but it's always worked for me. Like, had someone comment that on my comment yesterday. I'm like, good for you. It worked for you, but this page isn't about that. (laughs) Sorry. This page is to show other people that there's another way. (laughs) And that experience is kind of confusing because with diets there, there can be a really quick win in the beginning. Like, oh, wow. Like check, check, check. I ate it all the times it told me to, or I ate the approved (laughs) foods the way it told me to, or, oh, like a little bit of weight came off the reward of the diet if ever, and if any is at the very beginning of the diet, but over time, those rewards start to dwindle. The learning doesn't stick with intuitive eating. There aren't often quick wins right out the gate. No. And so over time that grows and the rewards deepen and stay really important that you normalize that, that that doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you, that you're never going to get it. Let's talk about these different styles of negative thinking so that you all can identify them more quickly. And remember, Melissa and Delina said, this is normal. <laughs> it's one, okay. Can I say one, my favorite one, because my uh, if you look at my sticky note, I'm going to show Melissa. The first one at the top says, stop catastrophizing. <laughs> this is what my therapist has me repeating all this. Oh, Delina, I love you. This is your tendency. So catastrophic thinking, let me define it. And then I'm going to have you speak on it since you're apparently the expert. Catastrophic thinking is when 
something happens and your brain automatically without your permission amplifies that thing to mean the very worst possible thing has happened. So I'm going to give you an example of how it might show up in the intuitive eating realm. And then we can kind of chat this one out. So let's say you have a negative body image day. You go to put on a pair of shorts. They don't fit anymore. You're standing there looking in the mirror and you think to yourself, I'm never going to like my body. This is hopeless. I'm never going to get a partner. I'm not going to be able to get a promotion. I'm never going to be able to climb a mountain. I'm never going to be able to travel. Your brain starts listing out all these terrible things that are going to happen when really all that happened was that your shorts don't fit. That's right. My brain does that all the time. It hurts, doesn't it? It really hurts when your brain does this to you. It's a very sad feeling. It causes you to go into like some very deep thoughts that Mm -hmm. are not the best. And you just kind of have to like tell yourself like, stop. Yeah. There's like no other way to explain it. As someone whose brain is constantly doing this, it really takes work and energy to kind of like reel it back in, which is the other one that's on here says reel it in. That's the exact really? move to remember. So if you're like, Ooh, ha that's me. Everybody does this to some extent. You know, I think one thing I want to say is we don't want to like label or, or judge anyone for these thoughts. Like the human brains work in this way. The reason we can write it down and talk about it is because this is a pretty universal pattern of thinking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What happens is that there's different degrees of expression of this. So some people do it in, in kind of a light touch infrequent way. It doesn't really impact their lives. Some people do it all the time, constantly yeah. in an amplified way. And that's where we get into spaces where like therapy might be worthwhile as a complement to the intuitive eating journey. If you yeah. generally struggle with this stuff, but Delina, you're spot on, like catastrophic thinking requires that you one, notice it. You two step back and create some kind of pause, reel it in mm-hmm. and notice what's happening in front of you. If it's the shorts not fitting, cope with that. <laughs> Do yeah. not borrow trouble from tomorrow. <laughs> Listen, I deal with this. I get it. It's a, yeah, it's, it's hard. It's, an, it's hard, but I mean, if you're able to put a word to it, it's a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Takes that pressure off and it helps you to come back to the moment you're in. Yeah. Okay. So catastrophic thinking is one type of negative thinking. I'm going to pick the next one to talk about black and white. That's my negative thinking drug of choice. Black and white thinking is when you tend to see things as on or off, good or bad, always, never success or failure. This comes a lot of times when you have a lot of expectations on yourself and high expectations on yourself. I am someone where like, let's say I go, I don't know, hang out with a friend and it wasn't quite what I was expecting. My brain will be like, oh, see, like we're getting older. Our friendships are changing. Everything's, and I can be a little bit black or white about around that. And that can creep into catastrophic thinking. So sometimes this thinking is happening simultaneously. It's not always identifiable. Sometimes you can point it towards yourself. Like, oh my gosh, I said kitten caboodle on a podcast and it wasn't a phrase that anybody understood. I'm never going to be an eloquent speaker. (laughs) I never say the right thing on the podcast, which isn't true. I bet if we look in, there are times when there are things that I say that make sense. So if you're doing black and white thinking, your job here is to find an exception to the rule. (laughs) (laughs) And also let yourself live in the gray. So if you're saying like either I'm eating vegetables every day or I'm a failure, Mm -hmm. 
If I eat vegetables most of the time, that would be success for me. Or if I eat vegetables more often, you can loosen it just a little bit in that way. And I think that that's the beauty of intuitive eating. It's living in the gray, living in the nuance, making up your own damn rules. Mm -hmm. One moment does not make it the whole story. (laughs) One experience, one success, one mistake. We're collecting data all the time in our lives and especially in this process. And so if you can resist the urge to label or judge whether it's going good or bad, this is a really important skill um, and directly links back to that food policing that goes on. Yep. Which one should we talk about next? Pessimistic thinking. Mm. I could do this as well too. Okay. I have to go to the bad things before I go to the good things. Mm-hmm. What could go wrong? What is going wrong? Mm-hmm. The example I had kind of to depict this one was saying like, oh, I had such a bad week. How many calls have started that way? Oh my gosh. Oh, wait. Clients come to, I had such a bad week. And I go, okay, well, let's take a step back. Tell me about something that you remember going well. And they're able to list it. Well, actually, and then all of a sudden we're seeing it wasn't a bad week. There was a couple of things that didn't go your way. Having this mindset of like, I can build on it. I can learn is so critical. Even if things are uncomfortable or feeling negative, it's not the end of the story. So resist pessimistic thinking if you find it. And I think this is why human connection is so important, right? Because we have these thoughts with ourselves in our head, saying them out loud to another human being, you actually catch yourself being like, oh, wait, that wasn't as bad as I thought. Yeah. Right. So like going on this journey by yourself can be so hard, but having someone, a group of people, a person, anyone that you can talk to about this makes the world of difference. You need a sounding board. Yeah. Yeah. It's a way of validating these negative thoughts because remember we can't restructure them if we're only having a conversation with ourselves in the old language. (laughs) Yeah. How would it, how would it happen? Like it, there's no way it could, you know, it's like trying to like bake a cake without an oven. Like this is the fundamental piece of cognitive restructuring is dialogue. You can get all the ingredients going, right? But you can't actually bake it, right? You can't make it happen. Challenge the thought. You can work on this, but you're always going to have more questions. You're always going to want, you're always going to need someone to bounce things from, Mm -hmm. right? Because there's, again, that vast grayness that you're not going to be able to do all by yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think the other added benefit of, I don't know, having a sounding board of someone who knows you. Mm -hmm. is that when someone knows you and knows what you're about, they understand what you care about and what your values are. Mm -hmm. Delina and I support each other in our businesses all the time. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about things like we know, you know what I care about. I know what you care about. And when we respond to each other, it's like, okay, well, for you and your life, this is what might make sense for you. Mm -hmm. And that's the other part where people want to go on Instagram and try to like glean as much as they can, but the tailoring of it to you and your values Mm -hmm. is not going to happen from a textbook or from scrolling. It's going to happen when you are vulnerable to share who you are and what you care about, because how you approach this principle might be different than the person next to you. Yes, for sure. And we're allowed, we're allowed to care about different things and prioritize different things. So a good example is like with like good or with the black and white thinking we mentioned a while ago, 
that's built off expectations and you're allowed to have expectations. So if I'm experiencing black and white thinking, like I did a bad job if I eat pizza and maybe I have a health concern where I do want to consider how I'm going to approach pizza. Mm -hmm. Maybe I want to have an expectation of how I consume it against my values and goals for physical health. That could be very different from someone else. So there is no, it's almost like I'm trying to prevent you from turning this into a new expectation. <laughs> like, okay, I'm going to think positively and I'm going to think this exact way, like they're talking about, and that's going to be the new good. <laughs> no, 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 no. We're pointing this out simply so you can notice when it's happening and come up with positive thinking that does serve you and point you toward the intuitive eating mindset. So you can feel better. Yep. All right. We got another one here called distorted thinking. I hear this all the time too. Clients will come to session and they say, oh, you know, I eat, I mean, pizza makes me feel terrible. Every time I eat pizza, I get so bloated and I just shouldn't eat it anymore. And like, help me to listen to my body, Melissa, because I am, it's telling me, it's telling me I hate pizza. Why do I keep eating pizza? Pizza might be connected to those feelings you're having, but to immediately jump to the pizzas causing it and the only way to get rid of it that the experience I'm having is to never eat pizza again, might not be the right move. Instead, looking at it saying, okay, I'm a salt sensitive person. I noticed that when I eat salty foods, I tend to feel this way. What would be a way of including pizza while honoring that feeling in me? Does that mean eating a little bit less of it, eating it less often? Does it mean working with the symptoms when it happens? Because what was more important was having fun with your kids after uh, for dinner there's so many different directions you can take the data your body gives you. And when you start having distorted thinking, you can't find the gray areas of what could make sense for you. Do you have clients with that too, where they're like, help me listen to my body better, but it gets distorted. I'm always like, why are you doing something that makes you feel like crap? Right? Like this idea. And also I feel like pizza is one of those foods that it depends on where you get it from. Like you could definitely get it from a place where it uses fresher ingredients, less salt, whatever, or you can have fun and have a pizza night with your kid and make your own. Like there's so many ways to enjoy pizza without having the all or nothing mentality and, or this distorted thinking of that actual dish. Right. But again, it goes back to this idea that we have that we need to be perfect and that we, if we're going to eat pizza, that it must always be good. Or this idea that everybody needs to love pizza too, like that you have to absolutely love it. Because if you don't, then you're dieting. That's something else we need to talk about. If you truly don't enjoy pizza, you're not being a dieter if you don't like it. Right. Right. It's not the behavior that people are judging, it's the intent and the relationship behind what you're doing that really matters most. And as you were talking, I was just, it's kind of flashed into my mind that the distorted thinking is what kind of can happen on Instagram when people push back on intuitive eating, like, mm-hmm. oh, so you're saying to eat pizza and donuts all the time. Like, I want to feel good. Like that's fine for other people if they don't care about their health, but I do. And I don't want to eat pizza all the time. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This oh, is yeah. getting distorted. This is getting blown out of proportion here. You know, permission to eat pizza and a moment of satisfaction and enjoyment of a pizza does not mean that you then fall into a path where that's the only food you consume forever and always. So yeah, ooh, this stuff can get exhausting. But the joy of it is if you can identify when it's happening, if you can label it, 
you can either send it back in or you can restructure it. And that is why I love this skill. It gives me a ton of hope that we can get to the root of the food guilt we experience. Yeah. And it doesn't just end at one session. <laughs> Practice. One, one conversation. Well, truly, like sometimes excavating some of these things and these beliefs does take some time. You know, I've had clients I've worked with three, six months through the tail end of our work. We think we've kind of found all of these different food rules and these negative thinking. And then all of a sudden we're like, oh, there it is. Okay. And you can keep deepening this if you know the skill, right? That's the beauty of this whole thing and why it's different than diets. Yeah. You know how to do this. And when you learn it, it's with you for always. So it's an amazing investment to take time to learn these skills, to connect with people who can bounce back and who know you. Yeah. Have I convinced you? Is this your favorite skill yet? Are you still on satisfaction? I'm still on satisfaction. Okay. All right. All right. You know what? I'm not here to convince. Forget it. Whatever. What can we do? I like talking about this at any rate. And I hope it was helpful for you guys out there. With this episode, maybe there's one idea that you really like with these principles. I encourage you, we talk about a lot of different things. Pick Mm -hmm. one thing, pick one idea that sounds really interesting to you. I have a freebie on my website and my link in bio at No More Guilt that you can use to create goals. Selena, do you have what's going on with your freebies lately? Do you have that intuitive eating guide? I have a guide. Um, It's almost like a mini workbook now. Okay. There's a few questions in there. You can go through kind of like challenge these things, but yeah. So if that's a nice compliment for you all out there listening to this to get a little pen and paper to scratch this out, both Selena and I have resources. We'd love for you to check them out. I think that's a wrap on principle four, challenge the food police. Brava. That is all, folks. If you liked this episode, we would love to get a review from you. We love seeing them. It helps us to refine and make this podcast even stronger. You can go ahead and do that. Rate five stars. Let us know what you're liking out there. Yes. And if you love, love listening to us and want to follow us on IG, where we found each other, go ahead, find us there. And yeah, we'll see you there. All right, Delina. Peace, love, and break the diet cycle.